We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Again, before we get started today, I wanted to let you know that we are sponsored by Circle Rock. If you are looking to add to your winter closet for this winter, I'd love it if you checked out Circle Rock and what they have to offer at CircleRock.com. You can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card good for your next Circle Rock purchase. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA Podcast. We're brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Charlie Johnson in studio with me today. It's December 26th, a few hours uh, before the Wolves tip off in Sacramento. This week worked really bad for podcasts in that way where I recorded like a couple hours before the Monday game. Yep. All optimistic that they should beat the Warriors. And now we're doing this a couple hours before the Sacramento game. I, I don't know if optimistic is the word anymore, but um, <laughs> but they're on an 11-game losing streak, and that's what we're going to talk about, you know, today and and kind of where this is where this has gone. I, I think, as I mentioned on the last pod, I don't think Sacramento is anything special. Wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see the Wolves win that game, particularly you know if if Cat plays, he's entering that game uh, with a questionable tag. demarcation <laughs> tag. There you go. Um, but yeah, Charlie, where, where are you at on this? It's not been four games prior to Sacramento that Cat hasn't played. Um, where, where are you at in the, those four games and, and what we've seen there? We're, we'll talk on the, those four games. Let's talk about the 11-game losing streak as a whole and then kind of where they where they go from here today. Cool. Um, I uh, c- Concerned, obviously. Like, I don't know what the right way to phrase it is. Everything is going poorly. There's I have no confidence in their ability to win without Carl Anthony Towns, but... More than anything, my concern is about the locker room. Sure. Like, what is going on in those players' heads? What, you know, how is the alignment between coaching staff and front office that we heard so much about throughout the offseason? Because now they've won, a, like, a, to lose 11 games in a row is a lot. I haven't, I haven't looked this up. Do you know when the last time the Timberwolves lost 11 yeah, in a row? Yeah, it, uh, it was Wiggins' rookie year. Yeah, you have to I think be. They had like 15 at the end of the year, and it was for. I remember writing about it last year because it was really when the Wolves like embraced the tank and they, they went to Wiggins and Levine a bunch and it mm-hmm. was when it, it would kind of actually, they were losing a ton, but kind of gave you um, some inspiration about what that Wiggins-Levine duo could be. They both started shooting a lot more threes. They were making a lot more of them, but they were surrounded by, I think Lorenzo Brown started yeah. a lot of those games. Um, I want to say Lou Amundsen, but oh no, no, it was uh, Justin Hamilton. Remember him? Mm-hmm. That big white center dude. Uh, and I mean, it was just a really, really thin supporting cast they had around them. And, you know, and Wiggins was 19 years old and so, so was Levine. 
as as bad as I think this Timberwolves team is without Cat, it's just it's still the, the level of talent is so much higher yeah. than yeah. that group. So I think that's where for me it's you know they're, they're a bad team without Cat. I mm-hmm. totally acknowledge that, but I don't know like a three and eight team yeah, to- or something like that. Like that 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 would make a lot more sense to me. Totally, I. To, win, to lose 11 games in a row, you not only have to just be a, pro, probably just a, a pretty damn bad team, <laughs> yeah. but you also have to have this like not like less than 100% commitment, whether it's on purpose or just like part of your being. I don't know what the right way sure. of phrasing it. Like you're not all about winning. Like those Timberwolves tanking teams weren't all about winning. They didn't care to win. So on some level to lose 11 games in a row with uh, you know, some talent on this team brings back up that question of like the fight in this team. Sure. Like, come on, win one of these games. Right. So this is a little bit out of order, but just because this is the last thing I was thinking about before you got here is just like where, where, where once Cat's back, how do you think they? Well, let's call it twenty twenty. How how do they approach twenty twenty from a strategic sort of standpoint of? You know, wanting to wanting to win games versus not winning games because even even if Cat doesn't play these last three games of 2019, which I, I do think we'll see him back before then, but that's still only 31 games into the year, mm-hmm. right? Because they're 10 in are they 10 and 19 now? It's 32 games, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you still have, it is so different than that tanking time. You still have so much so much of the season left to you know to put things together. Yeah, and normally putting things together is is something that leads to wins. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of answering the question I'm asking you is I, I would still think they're going to prioritize winning mm-hmm. the, the rest of this run. And then the way that the West looks, I mean, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream, but they're only three games behind the Blazers for yeah. the AC. Like you could, as a coach trying to pump up your troops, kind of be like, Hey, let's do what we did the first 18 games of the year. Yeah. See where it puts us. Well, that I mean, that should be the players' mindset too. Like, hey, we're a three-game winning streak away from, you know, kind of squashing this. Like, we're not going to be good still. No one's going to be raving about the fact that we beat three bad teams in a row. But like, then you'll have the confidence to feel like you're back on that like forward-moving walkway, and you can and you can maybe scratch and claw your way back into what's or at even least, just playing productive basketball. Yeah, just be competitive. Like, don't get to a point where. Rightfully so, people are giving up on you. Mm-hmm. Like, keep it competitive. Right. And that's what I think that they'll try to do in 2020 because I think they're probably seeing the effects of this. Like, you can't be this bad after 15 years of being as bad as they've been. It's just like, it's tiring. I, and I think, particularly because I know, I mean, they are concerned about the fan base. They yeah. are concerned about, you know, in, engaging those fans and getting, and then the next step of that, getting fans to come to the games. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they can't in, embrace any sort of tank. And I, I don't think they will all year, provided that Cat's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the last 20 games of the year, Cat has something else like this, then maybe they shut him down, kind of mm-hmm. like they did with even someone like Taj last year who had a little nagging, whatever. Um, but but their opinion is they're too good with Cat to tank. So you would, you would think that they just try and, you know, push on to winning as many games as they can the rest of the year. And... I, I don't think it would be crazy to try and convince them that they can be that 10 and 18. That was the first 18 games of the year. Yeah. And if you do that, then they're 10 and 27. And then, and if the Blazers maintain their pace that they're on 18 games from now, they'll be 22 and 27. Mm-hmm. So you're there. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe those teams pick it up. I wouldn't be surprised if Portland, you know, ratchets it up a little bit or one of those um, Sacramento or San Antonio teams kind of runs off like a, eight and four run or something. I I bet it's probably more like 500 to make it, but you could convince yourself or you could convince your players to, you know, make a move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I I start to think about, you know, can they make a move that is the spark plug to those players Mm. finding that confidence back? But going into this season, I would have thought that if, if you would have told me going into this season that the Timberwolves are 10 and 19 on the day after Christmas, I would have said, yeah, okay. 
I, I'm that's too bad. It's a little worse than I would have guessed. But what like, was your number before the year? Thirty four. I was right below yeah. the thirty five sure. and a half or whatever. Um, I would have said like, okay, that's too bad, and I wouldn't have expected it's that bad. But I'm not, you know, shocked by that, and I wouldn't have thought at the time that that would that Gerson Rosas would take that information and make any sort of win now move, whether it's by signing a free agent or making a trade. But, you know, with just how tumultuous it's been, I, I, I wonder whether he's moved toward like, we might need to do something that salvages this, that salvages the morale, that salvages any momentum that we could possibly have going into next year. My gut tells me he won't. Yeah. But I, I, I'm starting to wonder if, like the the Gerson Rosas we knew, you know, before the season. Yeah, I, I would say that he wouldn't be someone that would sacrifice assets to get something to kind of keep the, you know, the, the ship moving in the right direction mid season. But I, I do wonder because they they acknowledge that you know this is the, the way they started hot. It kind of just threw off expectations, totally. and now like even just a second or two seconds, are they are they willing to? sacrifice that draft capital to get something that maybe won't be back the next year. Well, and we've seen in the past that two second round picks at the trade deadline can get you something good. For sure. Like something that would really help this team. Yeah, one of the first one comes to my mind is, remember when P.J. Tucker was a rental for the Raptors? Was that right before he went to Houston, maybe three years ago? Yeah. But yeah, like I I think particularly in – Maybe this landscape, you could get you know something similar to that. I I would assume they more so target a piece they at least think they have a chance at bringing back, mm-hmm. not a thirty-two year old PJ Tucker like yeah. that. It would be, you know, the the depressed asset thing we always talk about, where it's it's someone you could convince yourself turns into being something more. And I, I think just having someone with bird rights mm-hmm. that you could then you know go over the cap to bring back the next year. I, I talked a lot about, I actually kind of want to correct this, but just as an archetype, like someone like Nerlens Noel yep. is, is a piece I think you could be interested in as a, as it, it teaches you something about how to align your team with Cat, you know, and he's a, a free agent at, at the end of the season, but would, you know, would that be worth testing out for a, a couple seconds or a couple, whatever that, you know, whatever the trade might be, some sort of, some sort of draft capital would, you know, would that be would that be worth the test mm-hmm. to what I want to correct about Noel is he, and I didn't realize this when I was doing the podcast is he's actually one of those one year birds. So he has a no trade clause yep. in his, in his current contract. So he would need to approve a deal to Minnesota. And I doubt he would approve a deal to go to a team where he's going to be a backup center. Yeah. Particularly to someone like cat, but, but you know, that, that sort of archetype, but somebody that, some, yeah, who knows yeah. something that <clears throat> shows you something new. Mm hmm about your roster. And obviously we can look at, we can look at shooting just, just that. And what in a vacuum would obviously help kind of put this system all together in place. I don't know. I mean, but I'm with you. My, my gut is that Rosas just kind of rides it out. Yeah. And, and that doesn't make zero sense. You don't save as much as you can to make the bigger move. Totally. They're not, I mean, Houston was rarely, rarely a team who would pursue those type of yeah moves. They would save it all to make, you know, to kind of go all in. Yeah, uh, I mean, my gut is that summer of 2020, Rosas takes a really similar path to the one he did last summer where he goes really hard, especially in the trade market, to try to find, a you know, a star or some sort of pseudo star. And if he doesn't get it, he does as well as he can to round out the roster with deals that aren't, that aren't going to hamstring your future financial sure. flexibility. And maybe as you like get a little bit into Rosas's tenure and a little bit closer to the, to, you know, Carl Anthony Towns being at the end of his deal, maybe he gets a little bit impatient, but, and this is obviously yeah. just my guess, but I, I would but that think, 2021 summer, the next one after that, I think, I think that's where you'd really see the sense of urgency. And maybe you don't, maybe Rosas would say, I'm going to do my best to build this around cat. And if it doesn't work around cat, it doesn't work around cat, but it's not going to be me like, you know, mm-hmm. ruining the next five, seven years of the Timberwolves to try to make the last year when cats in town, sure. a 44 win team. Right. And now you're getting way too far ahead of ourselves, but I do believe that Rosas is going to be stout in his belief. And I, so I, I like, too. I was, this, I, I do too. How, so how do you then, do you think a deal, I was listening to the podcast last week. Um, about the Thunder as a trade partner. Do you think a deal to acquire someone like Dennis Schroeder would align with Rosas's MO? 
I do because I think the really in, important you know, element of it would be that he is off, that Schroeder would be off the books mm-hmm. by the 2021 summer. I, I, I do think they will, as every team will, um, really prioritize that, you know, the, the summer of Giannis and Kawhi and Paul George and all those guys, that's when they're, I, I've, the Wolves aren't going to be getting those guys, but it kind of has a ripple down, a trickle down effect of, of movement. That'll be the big summer where guys are moving around like it was this past summer. So I think that, it would be possible that they make a move like that that brings in a piece that helps them implement this system that also doesn't hinder them for 2021. And Dennis Schroeder would do that mm-hmm. in in the style of play that he plays with and, and the effectiveness that he's been playing, the level he's been playing at this season. But he's also expires by then. And if it were Gorgie Jang was the, the matching money, you know, Jang's on the books until that 2021 summer as well. Yep. So that that lines up to me. It mm-hmm. makes sense in my in my head. Now the question is, what what are you sending out? Yeah. yeah. You know, to connect to that, whether that's draft capital, whether that's a Kogi, whether that's Culver, whatever. I went into all that last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll have to see how Schroeder's market shakes out. They're, they're not going to overpay yeah. to do that. But as it was with, with Russell, they'll put their pieces out there to say, this is... This is what we're willing to pay. If that works, we'll do it. Yeah. If not, we'll move on. Yeah. I think it's just really like they really look at that stuff like in a vacuum. It's really weird. It's a really interesting one to me because Dennis Schroeder is a like you said last week a really streaky player who's who's good when he's good. Um, and I'd be in on that kind of deal. Obviously, assuming that the asset exchange is palatable, yeah. I'd be in on that if Gorgie Jang is going out because if he's not then it's like some, it's Jeff Teague or whatever. It's basically, definitely Jeff Teague. Then it's Jeff yeah. Teague and then you, and you know, maybe Schroeder next year on an expiring is a trade asset. But I really think that Gerson Rosas, like thinking about the summer of 2021, probably, this is just my guess, like probably doesn't think about it that much. I really believe that he is so much more invested in the trade market than in free agency. I think that he has the perception to say none of these guys are, yeah, yeah. relatively speaking, none of these guys are going to choose to come to Minnesota. We have to trade for them and then convince them to stay. Mm-hmm. So I don't wonder if he'd say, like having he'd have to be really high on Schroeder to like yeah. think that he was a piece that they would want to keep behind beyond twenty twenty one. Yeah, because I, I just think it's all about trades mm-hmm. with with this team. It, well, it, it, it's because of the market they play in, and mm-hmm. because of this, the cap reality you live in with Cat Wiggins. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. 60 million going forward a year, which is over half your cap. It just really is going to make it very difficult to just go out and both sign outright, sign another star and surround them with the necessary pieces to make a, to make a real winner. So yeah, I I do think they'll have a long, a long view, but they just don't strike me as the group that will outright rule anything out. No. And shooter is also a guy who would, fit with this team not only on the floor when he's good but like they could use his dogged mentality I mm-hmm. think like they could use some more of that like up like punch a guy if he's pissing me off yeah. they could it's just I think that I mentioned this too is the complicating factor is then I think even if that domino falls down where you're like all right we have a we have a deal in place that we feel comfortable giving X out for Schroeder then they probably got to make another move to get off of Teague yeah which, you know, we don't know exactly what that'll look like. It's just the the dominoes could all fall in line together, but each with each additional domino, the overall likelihood yeah. deteriorates. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's worth monitoring though. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it's you know, the, in the past with the Tim Rose, and I did this, I wrote about it a bunch of times where you know, we're we're more having these conversations in like a fantastical sort of realm of yeah. like this is what would be fun to do for my video game team or whatever. Like given who Rosa's and this, this new regime is and that you have cat, it does make sense to be a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. to, to get players who could move the needle Yep, in the immediate and, you know, potentially into the future as well. Um, so I guess, I don't know. We'll see. We've still got like six weeks left. There's yeah, exactly. Plenty, a lot, a lot, uh, a lot of dominoes will line up in that time. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the, these last four games, even though they were brutal, uh, Four more losses, all without Cat. What what really stood out to me, looking at those and just kind of pulling up the the last four game numbers, is the the three 
statistically speaking, the three worst players were Jarrett Culver, Kata Bates, Diop, and Josh Okogi. By uh, by net rating. Net rating. Um, and I think that would that be yeah. your eye test of who? Yeah. I mean, roughly speaking. Right. And and that's that's problematic because what you would like to see when your top player goes down for any team is for your young core to kind of step up into a, a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Now there's you have more bandwidth out there to you know to, to take on more, and it's it was been the the opposite. Um, they've squandered those opportunities, a Kogi, I mean, namely a Kogi and Culver, to you know to show that you know we're more than just this role player who plays alongside Cat and this this more so suggests that at least right now their ceiling kind of is what they are when they're next to Cat they don't have more that they can really give you I mean particularly Carl Culver you would think there's way more offense offensive again bandwidth out there yeah. to take and and he didn't mm-hmm. I mean it was really 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 bad yeah and um, I don't know that both that of them. I mean, not just like, not just like uh, rough around the edges. Like both of them have been te- have been terrible. This is Culver's with the four games without Cat. Thirteen point seven minutes per game. One point three points per game. Zero point seven assists per game. Two point zero rebounds per game. Two of nine from the field. So that's eighteen percent shooting. Zero for four from three, for a true shooting percentage of eighteen point two. So my rough math, that's like 3.2 points per 36 minutes. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, Jarrett Culver has got a long way. He's got a lot of time to improve. But the things that he struggles with, namely shooting, is it's just incredibly concerning because you look around the rest of the league and you look at any sort of pseudo primary ball handler or literally primary ball handler, it would be hyperbole to say that every single one of them is a, at least a solid three-point shooter, but it's darn near. I mean, how many how many Lonzo Balls and Rajon Rondos and Ricky Rubios are in the league anymore? Just not many of them. And so it's when you look at a guy like Jarrett Culver, I look at it and go, I just need to start seeing that that shooting is at least progressing toward the the below average level it was at coming into the NBA and is no longer this like really scary because the sample size is getting up there where you're like, this is starting to kind of to be a real red flag. I mean, it absolutely is. And it, you could have said that a month into the season, but I guess I'm just a little bit more willing to say like, okay, this isn't a 45% free throw shooter. And and I think for me, you know, acknowledging the stats and the shooting has been, has been terrible and it's just been, it's been, I test terrible from the way the jumper looks too, but the, the other parts of it, you know, the the body language doctors they say. I mean that that that's getting really concerning for me too. Is that right? I can, I mean, can you expand on that at all? I was uh, the last home game. I uh, was the Clippers game, and I I was watching him. His his warm up time is you know it's we're out on the court before that, being able to you know watch them warm up and before you know the coaches do their interviews. And um, I was watching him shoot free throws, and he—I mean—he's very clearly in his head there, and you know he he missed about five or six in a row, and and what you know then he asked one of the ball boys to just kind of just start throwing him passes, and he was just um, started shooting jumpers from that circle, and and he was making those, mm-hmm. and he steps back up to the line and misses you know four or five in a row again, and. The the difference between how his his shot looked was was noticeable, but also just the way he carried himself from a a nervous sort of standpoint um, was I mean was, was troubling. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it, it only to me you know emboldened some of that that red flag. And I I counted the free throws. I mean he's taking in an open gym setting and he made sixteen of thirty seven. I just started you know tallying them oh. and and. I don't think at all that he's going to be like DeAndre Jordan from the free throw line for his whole career. I think he's very much dealing with something approaching the yips, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that sort of sense where it's just, it's very, very much in his head now. Yeah. And, you know, since then that was the, that was the last game with cat. And now these are the, these are the next four games that he's played Yeah, where it, it appears to only be getting worse. And I don't think he's going to be a DeAndre Jordan level free throw shooter forever, 
by the way, right now he's at 43.4%, which I'm guessing is below DeAndre Jordan. So way, well below <laughs> DeAndre Jordan. But, um, and I'm also willing to still say that there's a, a strong possibility. I mean, it's, it's going to improve from here and that there's a strong possibility that this really just is the yips and he'll get back to like that 70% free throw shooter that he was in college because it's the same free throw line, man. Mm-hmm. Like it's, right. oh, it, ha- it has been. Um, but this is something that you just don't see. This is like Mark, a third Cole of Fultz. a season. We, yeah, I mean that's what I was going to say. Is it's exactly. like I mean that's hyperbolic, but like but you, those you are the examples. That's the I mean the, those or that that yeah. is the that is the example. And I do think in in many ways Fultz and Culver are, are apples to oranges, but in other ways they're not. I mean I think just a, a huge part of Fultz's jump shot was how everything the whole NBA change physically and mentally was was affecting him mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think Culver is a very different archetype of a person yeah. than, than Fultz is, but he's having that same, you know, bottleneck yeah. in his mind to, to effectiveness. Well, and if that's your, like, uh, comparison for what Jared Culver is going through, I think it almost adds even more concern because Markel Fultz has the athleticism mm-hmm. to be effective without his jump shot falling. And a player like Ricky Rubio has the passing ability to be effective without his jump shot falling. Jared Culver doesn't have either of those things, at least not right now. And it's hard to believe that he'll get to the point where his athletic explosion like can take him, you know, to the basket when every single defender is going under every single ball screen. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to imagine that happening with consistency if he can never find a jump shot that demands some level of respect from his defenders. No, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I think we also need to acknowledge that he's he's not and hasn't been this year a zero when it comes to attacking the rim. No, like no, he's that's you're right. He, he does show, you know, impressive burst in those sort of ways. I'm not just talking about the fast break dunks. Mm-hmm. Like he, he can do that. We've seen plenty of that, but we've seen him take a, a single defender off the dribble and mm-hmm. be able to get by him and get around him and, and finish what I've just like slowly been putting some stuff together on Culver, like clips and such. What I've noticed is he can really only do that going to his right and um, I don't know if that's a comfort thing, skill de- probably a skill development sort of thing too. Yeah. But but it just it's another one of those things where for him to ever really make it, and it, if his jump shot's never going to be special, you really got to be good at a lot of other things. Yeah. The rest the rest of your game needs to be a diverse and dynamic. Mm-hmm. And right now, what we're seeing, I think, if we're lining up positives for him, is a little bit of burst, a little bit of wiggle going to his right. And then, and then defensively, um, in off-ball situations, I think he's, he's scrappy and intuitive. I, I think that is, that's valuable. Uh, in one-on-one situations, I'm not impressed with him as a defender just kind of locking up the man in front of him. Mm-hmm. But, but I, do think, I do think he is going to be a solid defender in this league. I don't think you'll, you'll view him three years from now as a minus at all on that end. So, so it's about adding kind of to the offensive bag. And the, the, the easiest way to do that is, is just to improve the shot. Yeah. And probably step one of that is to work through this mental hurdle. Yeah. You know, he's, he appears to be going through the one other, I'm going to put this on the story I'm going to write, but it was just, we got into, you know, to practice really early. The Again, last time they were here, it was a couple of days after that, that Clippers game. And he was the only one, only one out there. And he was with Kevin Hansen, their shooting coach. And he, I mean, he's just like dripping in sweat at the free throw line, you know, working on that. And I'm, I'm, they were simulating kind of getting him, you know, tired and getting to the line and doing that. Like it's very, this is very much on their radar. I think publicly, you know, you know, trying to, they don't want this a, a false narrative to get out there, and, and you know ne- neither do I. Yeah, but but it, it's it's objectively concerning yeah. to whoever you are to say this is our sixth overall pick. He has some serious mental hurdles that he's going through that he's working on. I, I asked Saunders about the, him being there early. He says, "No, that's every day. That's every day. He's he's in here. He's in here doing that." And I've I've heard that from you know. Yeah, I'm, he's a worker in in that sort of sense. That's that's what he does, but. He's specifically working on something. Yep. He's not just in there working. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. He's trying to be productive. I I agree that, you know, if you don't have the shot, you've got to round out the rest of your game. And you really do have to be good at 
passing, shooting, defense, all of it. The problem is that you're like working so hard at everything else to get your overall game up to like a passable level or up to like a, you know, plus level without that shot. It just, it, this is so obvious, but it just, it makes your ceiling mm-hmm. exponents worse than it would otherwise be if you Particularly had a, in this NBA. Particularly in this NBA. That being said, like, I don't want to bury Jarrett Culver because no. like you said, he, he has shown positive flashes and he does have things. I think I would just be irresponsible if we did that. Yeah, but I think it would be even more irresponsible to not be to talking about it. how concerned we are right now. Yeah, it's, it's been 30 games. It's really concerning. Yeah, particularly these last four. Um, we'll take a quick break and then get back. I want to talk something similar kind of with Covington, you know, yep. in his own sort of way where the production has really dropped off with Cat. So we'll take a quick break and get to that. We are sponsored again today by Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a menswear company that uses materials that are all made in the USA. At CircleRock.com, you can get blazers, you can get a dress shirt, vests, winter jackets, any and all the winter gear or formal wear that you might be looking for. And if you want to check them out uh, in person, you can go to Circle Rock's House of Style in Southwest Minneapolis. When you're there, you can again use the Code ZONE25 today will give you a $25 gift card for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's ZONE25 for $25 off. All right, um, Robert Covington, I think this has been, last time you were here, we, we, we talked about how he had recently been benched for showing up late to a team event or to, to the team's walkthrough and and then was you know plugged in off the bench and still playing. He is still playing, um, but he... he he really looks to be taking um, certainly a hit statistically in playing without Cat, and also just he looks frustrated. Mm-hmm. And frustration makes sense to me. Um, and a losing streak it'd be it'd be more troublesome if if you weren't frustrated yeah. in here. But I, what what they've had for from Covington lately has been really poor. Yeah, totally. And I mean, frustration is one thing, and I think that that's like. Like you're saying, it's natural, but it'd be nice if that frustration was channeled a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of like the the first 18 games of the season got expectations too high for the Timberwolves, and we talked about this. I think Covington's stint with the Wolves last year got expectations a little bit too high for him because I thought the first part of the season when he was playing with Cat was like about what I expected, even though it wasn't quite as good as last year. He was just such a solid piece now that said, he's a, he's a complimentary piece. He's a role player. He's not somebody who, when Carl Anthony Towns goes down, you should think, okay, now Robert Covington, you know, can kind of show his true colors or shine a little bit more because he relies on passes, you know, being made to his mm-hmm. bread box or whatever, right. and he he relies on the cat's gravity to execute on those catch and drives that he's been a little bit better at this season. So without Cat, like, I don't know what more to expect from him besides, like, his three-point shots being more contested. So I didn't expect him to, like, raise his play, but the fact that it's it's faltered this much I think is concerning. So so this is before the losing streak. So, you know, this that's October, November. He was averaging 12 points a game, five and a half rebounds, 34% from three, 59% true shooting. Um, those don't sound like tremendous numbers, but you know, defensively he was, though none of those numbers factor in defense. He was valuable defensively. They had a, a better defensive rating with him. Overall, they were outscoring opponents uh, with him on the floor and without him, they were, they were losing. Uh, they had a, they had a positive net rating. Yep. Um, now, in these last four games, he's played 24 minutes a night. Now, part of that, he's, he didn't play in the second half after knocking his head uh, the second half of the Golden State game. Mm-hmm. So that dips his minutes per game a little bit. But 24 minutes a night, eight points per game, still five and a half rebounds, 18% from three, 43% true shooting, and an overall negative. I didn't realize it was 18% from three that low. Yeah. I mean, four games, I don't, I guess I could pull it up. What it, what it, it's, it's still 33% on the season. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not like, and I mean, he's taking tough ones. Yeah. Like if he was taking cleaner, if he was on pretty much any other team, he would have way cleaner looks. Yep. And And I think he's the, the the caliber of shooter. That would be high thirties. Yep. If, if that were the case, like, you know, watching Houston play, yesterday where where Harden's getting doubled and it's basically 
all they have to do is swing, swing, and it's a wide open three for yep. someone. Like in the PJ Tucker role, there he would just have clean look after clean look, and mm-hmm. I think maybe be closer to a forty percent guy. Yeah, because in Minnesota, he's not only taking contested threes; he's taking deep threes. Like to get three point looks, he has to line up like twenty eight feet, you know, yep. rather than just easy catch, catch, catch and shoot looks from the perimeter. So, you know, that's that that's part of it, but. To, to make this 11-game losing streak not an 11-game losing streak, they needed – I think they needed more specifically from him. I think Wiggins was doing a lot of the same things he was at the beginning of the year from an attack-in-the-rim standpoint. It's just he needed help from the surrounding pieces. But what more would you have – besides making those threes, what more would you have expected Covington to do? Play harder. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. Right. I mean, I guess – you talking specifically in the half court he's spotted up what do you do spot up yeah sometimes cut that sort of thing um i i just before this went and back and watched his the shots on the losing streak he's taken this year and it really uh <clears throat> to my eye seemed to, to switch in the, the phoenix game where he just seemed to be a lot noticeably more frustrated a little, a little bit more lethargic that was only five games into the losing streak um before that, he it looked like he was really fighting mm-hmm. yeah. to be like, we're not going to let this happen. Yep, I believe we're a playoff team. We're not going to let this happen. And particularly once Cat went out, there was just a little bit more complacency mm-hmm. to you know to what I saw. And I mean, there's specific plays out there where he misses a three, and he get, I tweeted one out today where he misses a three and then gets back beat back in transition by the guy who was guarding him, and it's an easy Paul Millsap layup like. It's it's that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, where they they needed him to be one of their best players over this run, and he was he was he was one of the worst. Yeah, I, I think it does the net rating wise. I highlighted those the young guys who have been struggling. His his numbers in that sense are better uh, because the defense is all just always pretty good while he's out there. Mm-hmm. But 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 I think I think the effort was down as a product of frustration, and we have other. Little anecdotes of evidence of him being late and him, yep. you know, all those things we went into before. Like I think, I don't think we're we're grabbing at straws or picking this out of thin air to say Covington's off. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you about that. Um, the energy level being down. Two of them. First, since we talked last, and I, it was like we were really, I think, concerned or just like interested in the reasoning for the decision to bench him. I don't think there's been too much subsequent reporting. It's possible I missed it. I know he was late to a team event. Um, have you thought much more about that or you know, heard anything more about that that has changed your opinion? Um, it, basically since then, well, that was the Clippers game. They've, yeah. Now they've been on this road trip. I, so, yeah. I, I haven't been around the team. Yeah. I didn't go on the road trip at all. Um, and I think you know some of the... I, Chris Hine has been there, but some of the other main reporters have not. So... I, I don't think yeah. there's been more out there. I don't think they'll let more be out there, which yeah. I wouldn't either. It, it, you know, if there's some real frustration bubbling, I don't think they would put that out there. Um, and and there just might not be. Yeah, he just totally. might be legit ticked off because his team keeps losing. Yep, and and he doesn't think they're that bad. But he was also on the process Sixers. Yeah, that went ten and seventy two, and. I don't know. Like, I mean, you would think so, you think you that would be like I get like I get playing with a roster that has way less talent than the other people that we're playing against, mm-hmm. leading to losses. Yeah, I always wish there was a little bit more realistic expectations. And this is kind of like a conceited thing to say. Like, my outlook on this season was more smart than Robert Covington's, but. I'm I'm wondering if he was that staunch in his belief that they would make the playoffs if that wasn't misguided on some level. But I also think it's natural to ask after like after an 11 game losing streak that a team with some talent has endured. And like we're talking about Robert Covington being irked and not only being irked, but having that impact his play on the court negatively. That makes me think about leadership, both like in the locker room from players and from coaches. Is that and and that was a big talking point going into the season is that this is Carl Anthony Towns turn to be the leader of this team. And it's kind of weird because he's been injured 
um, or at least for the last few games. But you know, do you what, what's your take on where the Timberwolves are at, at needing From a leadership or having standpoint? leadership? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, probably not very good. And uh, I mean, you could depending on how you want to hold them accountable for that. Um, like to to some extent, you know, Saunders' thing was he connects with the players. I mean, that's his a really strong like being able to control the vibe in the locker room was supposed to be something he was very good at. Um, and it seems like that's trickling away a little bit. And and Cat, you know, he's had made it very public that he was excited about this role and was, you know, going to take take it. And it was very outward about the whole Bahamas thing mm-hmm. and, and, you know, telling us we were dumb because we didn't believe in it. Um, I think you can incriminate them to some degree for that. I kind of go the other way where I go, well, Saunders is a new coach, so why would he be really good at that, at, at you know, executing that element of coaching and cat is very new as a, as a leader. Why would he be very good at that either? Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, you have some conflicting narratives there where you said you were, this is what you were good at. Yeah. So if you said that, like, well, that's, we should, we should take that at face value. Yeah. Especially with Saunders. Like if, if that's kind of, that was like, your badge of honor. You're like the reason to hire you is that mm-hmm. these guys, you've got their back. They've got your back. You're going to be able to control the narrative. Um, I wish with cat that he, he seems frustrated also, which I get, which he should be, but like the weird cryptic social media stuff and like all that. And just kind of the way, I don't know. I just wish there was a little bit, a different aura being given off that was mm-hmm. maybe more upbeat. Even. And, and, and I guess the, then the question is, is how much can you handle that? You know, can you manage that aura when your team is losing 11 straight games? Yeah. Is it even possible to keep? And if you get up and, and you know, try to put lipstick on the pig, is that like, oh, classic cat, just like giving off mm-hmm. the political sure. answer. So maybe I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Right. Here. I mean, it's just all in all, it's a, it's a, it's a bad spot to lose 11 games in a row particularly after you started hot. Yeah. And it's different than the, you know, Pelicans lost 13 in a row, but they were also bad before that. Mm-hmm. Now they had to, you know, they had to deal with even higher expectations coming in the season, but they, they had a lot of easier things to point to of like, well, obviously Zion hasn't mm-hmm. played at all. Derek Favors missed a bunch of time. I mean, and then they were dealing with a litany of little other different things. When you turn on a Pelicans game and be different guys playing every night, yep. just in, injury wise. And now I think they're being somewhat, you know, verified in, in that, you know, favors is back and that seems to be really helping them. They're, they're finding, you know, more continuity and not that they're a great team by any means, but it's just like the things that we were holding them accountable for made a little bit more sense to lead to losses. Yeah, sure. Whereas like <clears throat> this Wolves team, we've acknowledged the, the weird like brash of injuries that have come off where it's like, Oh, guy misses one game here with the flu and personal reasons and all, all sorts of different things. Like they've had a, a ton of different starting lineups that have, you know, have come to be, but it, it's different. It's just a little bit to me, it seems different than, you know, the, the Pelican sort of deal. And I think that's why the narrative that surrounds this Timberwolves team is a little bit more harsh than it might've been on that 13 consecutive loss Pelicans team. Yeah. Sense. No, I, I get what you mean. I, I I would disagree. I know I agree that that's true. I would say I wish that wasn't true because like both those teams are, if not like, and I mean like, I don't. We're not worse. in the Pelicans' <laughs> depths. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You maybe it was like I don't I don't know. I don't maybe it was. It felt a lot like this. We just live in these weeds, you know. Yeah, I don't know. This feels pretty tough. Yeah, I'm 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 acknowledging that. Yeah, I'm, I'm acknowledging. No, that. I'm, I'm saying it's you, that yeah. it's. It's worse. It's yep. worse than it was, yeah. you know, for the Pelicans or for a lot of these other teams in the league. I mean, it's if we just want to wind it back to like roster construction. I mean, it's a massive indictment about the of the roster they put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all all the we'll acknowledge all the limitations they had in free agency. You know, with not only having Wiggins and Cat on maxes, but also you know Teague and Jang just eating up a bunch of space. They didn't have a lot of. There weren't a lot of other paths to, you know, to take in in the offseason. Now, the one that if you want to really 
turn the screws on Rosas is the is the culvert trade, mm-hmm. and and you gave up uh, you gave up the eleventh pick and Sarge for that. You know, two other interesting pieces that probably would have you know helped this team for a player who hasn't helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still holistically limited in you know in what they they could do. I don't know. I mean, it's I think as it is with any front office, it's we kind of got to see an off season, a trade deadline, another off season, another trade deadline, and kind of see how it all comes together. Yep. Rather than just being like, well, they definitely messed up the Culver trade. You know, yep. like that's just yeah. We don't even know that yet. Totally. Like there's a there's just a lot a lot of this book is unwritten. Yeah, I do think that so much of this comes back to expectations, and that's something that we've harped on a lot so in like all I can do is say that I'm moving forward going to try to like take what happened at the beginning of the season out of play and go back to the expectations from the beginning of the Fair. season that this is a team that's not quite ready to make its push that it's a year or two away that they're building a system that you know whether it's this system to a T or some iteration of the system should be more sustainable both in the long term for the regular season and into the playoffs for a team that's built around Carl Anthony Towns. And they simply don't have the personnel, but they didn't do anything stupid to go get like media, like personnel that'd be a little bit better. And it's a positive progression because I do, I do believe that. Yeah. I I just, I, I think though that even in this losing streak, they've strayed from the system. Yeah. And that's just, Disappointing. That I mean, absolutely, and obviously, I mean, I guess we can look at both sides of the ball of it. Um, it really pops defensively. You can just point to point to defensive rating. They're in the eleventh game losing streak. They're 29th in the league in, in oh up to twenty ninth. Yeah, nice. the wall ahead of the Wizards. So <laughs> nice. it's not crown them. Um, but it's the. I mean, if you look at how much worse their uh, defensive rating has dropped from. Yeah, that October, November versus December now, which mm-hmm. the losing streak is. I mean, they they have the biggest drop from they were twelfth in defensive rating down, you know, down to 29th now. And in, in I have it written down here somewhere. They yeah, so it's they were at one oh six point eight in defensive rating during that ten and eight run. And now in the O and eleven it's one seventeen point nine. So to get to be giving up eleven point one more points per one hundred possessions is massive. No other team in the league is at all approaching that. Yeah. The only other teams that have big drops are teams who started the season out as like the, the, the nuggets yeah, who yeah. were like number one at the beginning of the season. Now they've dropped to ninth. Yep. So it, it, I mean, it's, they're in pretty much uncharted territory as far as defensive, like collapse. Yep. It's like them and the Knicks are the only teams who have gotten this progressively worse in, in December as a defensive team. So, I mean, if we're going to be holding Saunders, we're going to be holding Cat accountable. I mean, hold, you got to hold Vanterpool accountable too for the role he plays, you know, with that defense and within this defensive system. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's on the offensive side of the ball where the system's definitely breaking down is they're playing slower. Um, they are still still shooting threes, but they feel even more forced than they ever have before because now what this team has broken down into, particularly without Cat, is so isolation heavy and if it's not isolation it's a kick out for a three a contested three a contested three and and then that's i mean that that's not who they they want to be either no in in this own 11 in their 28th and assist percentage the only teams that are assisting on fewer baskets are houston and portland who are the two most intentionally isolation heavy teams in the league yeah so that's not what the Wolves want to be. That's not the Wolves' system, yet it's how they're playing. Mm-hmm. And to, to play a system, to try and play a system that doesn't fit your roster, and then to kind of make it worse by highlighting the worst parts of that system, I mean, that, that's what's leading to this. That's what's leading to getting blown out by Golden State in the first half. Yeah. I mean, it was always going to be a huge challenge to commit to playing a system that you didn't have the roster for. It was always going to lead to bumps and bruises on along yep. the way and most likely a roller coaster type season and the challenge and the test was always going to be 
Can you get through that, you know, looking like you're improving? Can you get through that seeming like everyone is still on board with the system? And now the cracks are starting to show and they're reverting. And that's disappointing to me because, you know, and, you know, I don't I'm not like a like a system truther, but I reverting to the extent that they have while still losing. It just feels so pointless. Well, it's I think when Britt was here, he's like, you can have a loss and then you can have yeah, a system yeah, yeah. loss yep. where where you where you lose the game but you also lose the game not playing your system and they're starting to rack those up some now i think it's also kind of important to pump the brakes on that a little bit when it's really hard for them to play this system that is so reliant on a 7 footer to jack nine threes a game from the top of the key and make 40% of them like to play this system without cat is to sign up for losses yeah so, so what do you, you know, what do you do during those four games that you don't have cat? I mean, do you try and put in a whole new element of your playbook or really lean on a, a, a style of play that you haven't been doing at all? I mean, I would like to think if cat was ruled out for the rest of the season, they would change their style of play because it just doesn't make sense to, yeah. to do it without him. Now they're on a four game road trip. You put that all in on the road and say, oh, no, we're going to actually remember those sets that we were doing in training camp. We're going to really get back to that yeah. style. Yeah. Those packages. I mean, it probably would have led to maybe a win or not as bad of a four losses as, it, as it's been. But that that's also a rock and a hard place sort of situation where they're banking on cats, not only his production, but the way he plays. Yeah. It would have been... I. I was thinking about it. It would have been interesting if they would have, if they would have just called up Nas Reed mm-hmm. because I'm not saying he's at all NBA ready, but he's the only on the roster. He's the only player who can really approximate what cat's supposed to be at the top of the key for this team. Yeah. And they, I mean, I think actually think gorgie has been kind of decent in it, but it's just not, he's more of like an occasional three point guy mm-hmm. rather than able to create it all from up there. I mean, He's half the time he's going to try and pump and go. He's going to travel. Yep. And that that's just that's a huge part of the cat role in in the offense, the five out offensive system with them out top is is moving north south. Yep. And Corgi can't. I mean, he's never been able to do that. So I don't know. I it, it's just no cat just equals losses. It it for this team. It's it it is true. It's so tricky, especially because not only is there no cat. But it's an insufficient roster around him filled with pieces that were never meant to like yep. maximize the system in the first place. So it's just a big double whammy. So what do we yeah, I mean I kind of hit on this at the beginning, but like what do we what do we think this next month is? Like what happens? I I, I mean it's try to get back on your feet because it there are they still three games out of the playoffs? Three and yeah. a half? Three, three. <laughs> I mean, you, like we said, you just just win four or five. Just mm-hmm. win seven of nine like right. you'll be right back in it i think this next month is about trying to get healthy trying to get cat back try to get jake layman back try to get like that core group that you had and obviously that's out of your control but if you can do that i think there's a half decent chance that you do get back on track and you can salvage the latter half of the season to make it at least constructive and not this you know feeling of like Everything is a waste of time. And I, I think that's what it's all about this next month. You, you know what I would like to to see just a change in the the, the wording that they're putting on all this is you, you're starting to hear Ryan say he said it after um, I think the Denver game or the Portland game was we're not going to change the way we play because we believe this is the style of play we want to play with for future teams. Mm-hmm. He said that. I mean, that is that is that is saying that this system we believe it's acknowledging that it's imperfect for this roster and is, but is idealistic for future cat led teams. The opposite of that is what, what's cat said after games numerous times over the past month, month and a half, whenever they lose is we got away from the system. And you know, if we, if we play the system, we're good enough to win. Those are conflicting narratives. Mm-hmm. Th- those aren't true. He isn't acknowledge. Ryan is acknowledging that the roster is imperfect mm-hmm. for playing this way. And what Kat's saying is this roster works if we play this way. It doesn't. And now, again, it's what are the, what are they saying publicly when all the cameras are on and, mm-hmm. and all this. And I mean, there's, there's some of that going on. 
controlling, you know, controlling narratives in that, in that sort of way. And you know, what, what's cat supposed to say? Well, I don't know. We don't have good enough. <laughs> My shooters. teammates suck. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, that he's never, it's not true. And he's never going to say it. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, um, the, the signing up for the playing system of our personnel was going to be grading. And in all these different ways it was and is. So, I mean, I, I like what you were saying. Sorry to interrupt no, you, but I like what you were saying about almost like the branding of it all, because that is what happened. Rosas was hired and he, he went on a, obviously went on a media blitz and he laid out his kind of like long-term vision and he's extremely elegant about it and he's smart and he's, and it's in, not a bad idea and necessarily. It's, and it's an idea that I think a majority of NBA yeah. fans kind of buy into and he's implemented it successfully in the, or been a part of it, it being implemented successfully in the past. And I think people latched onto it. And I think people really did agree like, okay, this might not be our year, but we're building towards something that's bigger than we've been building toward in the past because the Timberwolves fan base is smart. They've we're part of it. We've heard it all. We've mm-hmm. been there. And like, we know what's BS right. to, to some extent and what's not. So to be able to go out there, if Ryan Saunders can go out there more often and make that point, like it's almost a reminder, yeah. like this was going to happen. Yes. This is for the future. We expected this, like to make they, it, they expected, they expected the bumps and bruises. They didn't expect it to happen 11 games in a row. No, yeah. And the of confluence course, no. of all those things, but they absolutely did. Yeah. yeah. And you just talk about that more. Because mm-hmm. I th- this fan base is smart. Like, they're going to get that. Mm-hmm. But, like, when it's just you're in the midst of it, it's hard because it is, it gets old. It, absolutely. And, I mean, not, yeah, I, I, I think it just, if you don't acknowledge it and you keep putting the square peg in the round hole, it will push people away mm-hmm. from the team. It becomes, I can say just from writing about the team or talking about the team, it, it's, there's elements of, of it that are, that don't seem worth my time to write about or for us to talk about here. Because when you're not, when you're not quote unquote, trying to win, doing the, the, the ultimate thing that maximizes your chances of winning right now, then it's weird for me to highlight these are the lineups that that are working well. These are the players that are working well together to get to lead to wins yep. or to stats or to success. Because if the ultimate goal isn't success, then it's not really worth it for me. It's still not genuine. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't really be. It's more like I'm just pointing out dots. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, you know, that's, I think, I do think that's hard for people who are really, who really are digging into this team and, you know, live with the team every day on Twitter and Reddit and in the stands and all that is it's, it's grading, it's grading for them too. Even if it isn't an 11 game losing chain, I mean, we felt some of this, even in the 10 and eight, when things were good, totally, they're looking like a playoff team. It's like, man, and fans are like, man, I can't, I can't stand how Jeff Teague fits into this system that I've but am I crazy that though when they were 10 and 8 there was talk and this is super like this could just be my bubble there was talk like this is the most fun Timberwolves team I've watched in a while like I'm glad they got Jimmy Butler out of here like it's fun to see them finally embracing am I crazy that that was like I know that now it's like the worst Mm -hmm. thing ever and like it's no fun to watch and I like I'm not trying to downplay that but am I crazy that that was the narrative when things were going well I think probably yes to uh, a segment of the fan base, but I think I think a large chunk of the fan base of, of diehard fans have stuck with it because they found part of their entertainment process is is acknowledging or ripping on what isn't working, mm-hmm. and even when things were good, there were very clear things that were not working. And if we want to point to specific players, I mean, Trevion Graham and Jeff Teague. Mm-hmm. And I think it was very frustrating for that segment of the fan base to be like, why are they playing? Sure. Because this doesn't seem to be something that's leading to winning. Because I think as a fan, I mean, you want all the success. You want all the, that's you want the, the wins. Yeah. The point of being a fan is to analyze everything. But, but yes, I mean, but that's, I mean, it's the, the, the Tibbs thing that everyone makes fun of is, you know, the winning will resolve resolves all the noise and it does mm-hmm. fans were way more into even if there was the echoes of frustration with the team shooting 25 percent from three in numerous games or Graham or teague or whatever it might be 
they were tuning in more. They were more engaged with the product because it was winning yep. more than it was losing. Yeah. It gave you something to be excited about watching. Like, I don't know how many people are going to tune in to this game on the road against the Kings at totally. 9 p.m. Totally. Like, it's, but if things were different, if they'd gone six and five over this run, I think then it's, you know, that just, that makes it, it just makes it more palatable to think that the team you're cheering for has a real shot. Yeah. Or is really trying to win every game. Totally. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I think, you know, to put on my Gerson Rosa's, Rosa's boots is, I, I think that's the process for them is they need to first attract the fan base with an exciting and winning product. Mm-hmm. R- winning being like 500. That's how you first get them to start watching games on TV, right? And to be engaging with their content and everything that is the team on a day-to-day basis. And I think you could probably got to do that for a while. Yeah. And then the next step is, is if you, they, people start to believe and then they start coming to the game. Yeah. Then they're into it. It, it. it becomes an event. Yeah. It becomes something they want to experience in person because as you know, great as it is to watch on TV and this and that, I mean, man, now that I've been able to go to a bunch of games in person, I mean, being at a good basketball game in person, oh. you can't beat it. No way. You can't beat it. And but but right now as a fan, it's a risk. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland on Saturday. Oh, I got tickets, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It, it, it's just it, it's too risky that you're gonna sit down and and that it's gonna be flat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Andrew Wiggins says it after every game. They mm-hmm. played harder than us. They played harder than us. It's like three games in a row now. Mm-hmm. That's his post-game quote. It's like, hey, you know what I will say, though? It's not him. No, no, I'm not saying it's No, no, it's, no, it's not yeah, him yeah, who yeah, isn't yeah, playing yeah. hard enough. I, I should clarify that. <laughs> and, and, you know, we should have, you know, as we're highlighting all these stats with chunks of time and this and that, like, a- Andrew Wiggins is consistently playing hard. Mm-hmm. He, he is, just period. Like, go go back and watch. Go back and watch it. What he is doing is, is he's playing hard, and I know people are latching onto some of that, and they're like, "I want to say I'm not. Even, I don't even know if this is where you're going with it." it was like saying, "Shut up!" Like to him, it's not to him. It's no, like, no. That honestly, that's like a good way of leading. It's it's like, come on, everyone else. Yeah. If Andrew Wiggins is the player who's trying the hardest on your team, like, no, that's a big problem. Totally, <laughs> totally. I was saying more like from a fan's perspective to hear that over and over again after every game, it's you start yeah. to lose. You're like, well, why why should I come? Like if I, if I'm going to hear you say that after every game, I start to lose some of my desire to be a part of what you're doing. But I do think to go back to your point about like reinvigorating, you know, people who love this team, I think that that messaging part is important because I think that Rosas and Saunders to their credit are, and I mean this in like a a positive way, are salespeople more than Mm -hmm. Tom Thibodeau was more than Sam Mitchell was. They got to be. They can convey and have conveyed a message positively and effect, effectively in the past. And naturally, as the season gets going, like you don't have the chance to keep like mm-hmm. spouting out that, I don't want to yeah. say propaganda, but like messaging. Yeah. And I think that they would, it, it could help to get back to that. Uh, yeah, I, I do too. It I would think, help me. I need yeah. the reminder. Right. For sure. I think they just, they got to win. They got to win some yeah. first and, and show that. Yeah. There is something, and then they can point to see. There is something here. That's true. That's true. And and then you, yeah, then you go from there. But it's it streaks are tough. Streaks are tough as a as a fan, as a player, as a coach. I mean, for sure, it, way harder than it is for us as a as a coach, as a player. I mean, you start hearing, you start then hearing your name, and you know, trade rumors. People start saying, "Oh, is he on the hot seat?" or this and that. I mean, it's uh, it. It weighs. I mean, it's weighing on this group. I think. I think clearly, and kind of the only way to remove that weight is to win. Mm-hmm. And I, even though winning isn't the ultimate goal this season, yeah, I think it's something that should be prioritized if you're trying to build a sustainable team. And and that that you know that can be. I, I think to me that's letting go of some of the system stuff, and perhaps letting go of holding on tightly to all your future assets and stuff and considering, you know, what, what benefit would we have to go out and get someone 
Yeah. At, at, in this trade period. I mean, I think you have to at least really be considering both of those things because of all the, because of all the baggage we just, we just listed off past there. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a new year. It's, I think it's, it, we're tired right now, but I think it can. That's the fun part. That's why I'm excited to watch the Wolves play the Kings tonight because mm-hmm. we could be back here next Thursday. <laughs> We could be back here talking about how hey, like it happened. They, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're back on track. And you know, cat. I mean, in cat, particularly if cat's yeah. back and cat's back on track. Yep, that's man. And but to get cat and Wiggins back on track, you got to surround them with something. Yeah, whether that's players or a system that allows them to be open. Because man, go watch Wiggins's shots from these past four games. Just pull up his shots on NBA.com and, and watch how difficult it is for him. And, and you know, and people are always shooting more mid-range shots. You know why he's shooting more mid-range shots? It's not his primary goal. You, you can tell. What he's doing is there's a second body there. Oh, yeah. And the smarter, the smarter look in, in a lot of those situations is to, okay, I have a one-on-one situation here in the mid-range, but if I get to 10 feet or I get to 14 feet, I don't. You know, so it's... I, his, I, I don't have a problem with the shots he's prioritizing this and that because it's, he is in such an uphill battle yeah. to create anything offensively with the roster that he's surrounded by right now. So it's, <clears throat> it's a perfect storm of, of bad circumstances right now. It's a, it's a tough time to be recording a podcast. <laughs> it is. I was before the, this, this is the eighth podcast I've done since this, this losing streak. Good on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, and, and we'll be back on Monday. Britt will be back and then you'll be back next Thursday. Um, what does that be? Two games till then we got, or Sacramento. No. And, and Brooklyn. Brooklyn is, is Brooklyn Monday. Yeah, the uh, Kings, Cavs, Nets. Nets are Monday, leading up to to New Year's. So, yep. I don't know. Still basketball. I'm still I'm still excited to see what what happens. But it's a it's a low time right here. I, I do think that whatever this vibe is right now, I, I think it gets better from here. Totally. Even even if there's a loss to the Kings, like there is, it, it can't it, it can't stay this bad. I I can't I can't imagine losing five more games in a row would make right. it much worse. To be honest, <laughs> I like I don't think that there's anywhere to go but up. And and then really at that point, then you like okay, something's got to change. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like at, at some point, something's got to change. Yeah. And I don't think they're I don't think they're there yet. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how Sac- Sacramento, Cleveland, and even Brooklyn are not special teams at all. No. They they can compete with those teams. Yeah. I'm I'm just sick of the feeling midway through the third quarter where I'm bored watching this team. They got to delete that. Totally. I mean, Kings, Cavs, Nets, and then Bucks, Warriors, Cavs, Grizzlies. That's seven games where you could you have the opportunity to get right. To get absolutely is no better circumstance to get right. Well, that's Charlie. I'm Dane. We'll we'll see how this goes. It's right. uh, <laughs> we, we keep we keep trucking along. Thank you for for listening. As I said in the last pod, um, to to keep watching not only watching a team play but to to be tuning into a podcast that is specifically about that team uh that shows you know shows dedication so we appreciate that um thank you merry christmas happy new year all that um we'll see you next week on monday till then peace out